Romans 8. We've been studying through the book of Romans, and we went over this particular passage last week. Um, but, but I want to focus specifically on one verse, and that is Romans 8.13. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the verse says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There was a book that was written in the 1600s called The The Mortification of Sin. There's a few copies of it in the bookstore if you want to get your hands on it. It's written by John Owen. And this particular book is known by many to be the authority on the best written book on the mortification of sin, on the idea of putting to death the sin that's in our lives. Sinclair Ferguson says, to read John Owen is to enter a rare world. Whenever I return to one of his works, I find myself asking, why do I spend time reading lesser literature? Jerry Bridges, who's written so much on holiness and godliness and transforming grace, he says, John Owen's treatise on in dwelling sin and believers and the mortification of sin are, in my opinion, the most helpful writings on personal holiness ever written. Or G.I. Packer says, I owe more to John Owen than to any other theologian, ancient or modern. And I owe more to the mortification of sin than to anything else he wrote. I knew that he had written a book specifically on this verse. And so this last week, I spent time in that particular book and just wanted to to um, take it apart piece by piece and and it's not a book that you would read through quickly he he he's somewhat of a cumbersome writer i mean he he wrote books and wondered if anybody would ever read them um, he was one of the most weighty of all puritan theologians he was born in sixteen sixteen entered Oxford at age twelve Got his master's degree. He, when he was 19, in his early 20s, conviction of sin put him in such a, a turmoil that for three months he says he could scarcely utter a coherent word on anything. But slowly he learned to trust Christ and so found peace. 1637, he became a pastor. 1640s, he was a chaplain to Oliver Cromwell. 1651, he was made dean of Christ Church in Oxford, Oxford's largest college. Later, the vice chancellor. And got married in 1644. Him and his wife had 11 children, all of whom died. His wife passed away eight years before him. And so he watched 11 of his children pass away from the various plagues and from other things and watched his wife pass away eight years before him. And so he, he wrote, having been a man that suffered greatly, 
wrote with just an incredible mind, but wrote things that are very helpful to us on this particular text. Um, and the idea of, of the mortification of sin, the killing of sin in our lives. This, this particular subject is vital to us as a church. To, to put to death sin that's in our own personal lives. You, you think of the way that God describes man throughout history and throughout his word, where he says things like, the inclination of their heart was only evil continually. But then referring to his people and saying they've forgotten how to blush. They, they, they don't even know how to blush anymore. Their, their sin is there and it's just there. You know, they're not even embarrassed of it anymore. You, you hear him talk about the various churches in the book of Revelation and you see him talking about some and, and referring to them as lukewarm. Re, referring the, to them as those who had lost their first love. Referring to them as those who have just been consumed with worldliness. Have held on to false doctrines. Have been just corrupted by those that are within the church, and, and just the need for us as God's people to fight sin, to fight it. I look in, in in my own life, I've seen this. As a pastor, I've become more acquainted with it just as we minister to people within the church. But, but I've watched sin come into people's lives, and my own included. And it, we allow it in a little bit. We don't fight it, and it just attacks and spreads to where you'll see somebody in a place where, gosh, they, they don't even seem like the same person. I saw someone this week that I know that became unequally yoked with an unbeliever years and years ago. And such warnings went out to them. Don't do this. This is the effect that it's going to have on your life. And honestly, seeing them, they did not seem like the same person. The joy that they once had just extinguished. And such a difference in their life as they once were those that seemed so full of joy to being in a place of just despair. <laughs> So we look at the text and we're told if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So my question to each one of us this morning is, 
to begin with. Are you mortifying the flesh? Are you putting to death the deeds of the body? Owen says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. And then probably the most famous line from this book comes next. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You're being dead with Christ virtually. You're being quickened with him will not excuse you from this work. He says, you can't look at it and say, well, I've, I've died with Christ already. I've been quickened with him. I'm born again. Therefore, I don't need to do this. He's saying, no, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And just because you've died with Christ virtually and that you have been quickened with him does not excuse you from this work. It is something that is absolutely vital to all of us. We're not called in this particular passage to make a decision that will forever take our struggle of sin away once and for all. We're called to a lifetime of daily, a daily fight to put to death the sin that's in our lives. It happens daily for us. It's not that you just decide, okay, I'm going to put to death sin. I'm going to make this decision once and for all. It's done. You will wake up the next morning and have the same struggles. It's a daily fight against sin to put it to death. Mortification, in the words of, of John Owen, says this. It means that the flesh, with its faculties and properties, its wisdom, craft, subtlety, strength, this says the apostle, must be killed, put to death, mortified. That is, have its power, life, vigor, and strength to, to produce its effects taken away by the Spirit. And we will be looking at that this morning. By the Spirit, that's critical to our text this morning. Why would we want to mortify sin? Owen says, to begin with, every unmortified sin will weaken your soul, giving you less strength and vigor in your spiritual life. Why do we want to kill it? Because every sin that is not put to death within our lives, things that we allow to be there, it will weaken you. You have less strength in your spiritual life, less vigor in your spiritual life. Next, he says, sin takes hold of your affections. Why should we mortify sin? Because sin takes hold of your affections. It causes you to love and desire that particular sin more than you love Christ. You don't put it to death and all of a sudden you, you start loving it more. More than you love Christ. As you desire that particular sin, it cripples your soul from being able to say things like, Lord, you're my sufficiency. It cripples you from saying, Lord, you are my portion forever. You're all that I need, Lord. Because that sin is something where you can't honestly say that. It, it, it makes it so that your heart's divided, your affections are divided. The reality of your position in Christ, the reality of your adoption... The reality of your redemption by his blood, the glory of 
your everlasting inheritance in Christ. A heart that's full of thanksgiving and fruit that ought to come out of your, your life. It's, it, is all, it is all divided to where you're, you're no longer able to say, Lord, you're my portion forever. You're going after these other things over and over again in your life to where your affections for Christ are largely divided. He uses an example of, it's like weeds. You, you have a, a precious herb that's there that you, you want to grow, and around it is just weeds that have overtaken the garden. These weeds that are there, there's this precious herb that you want to grow, but these weeds have just overtaken the garden. And, and Owen says that the heart is, is like a sluggard's field. It's so overgrown with weeds that it's scarce or it's, it's hard to see the the good corn or the precious herb. You, you can't even see it. The thing that, that you ought to see, Christ and his glory, your adoption, your redemption, the eternity that you'll spend with him is so overgrown by weeds that you, you come to a place where it's hard to even see it anymore. So we want to mortify sin. We want to mortify sin because sin not only hurts us, but sin hurts others that are around us. We, we want to put it to death because it, it's something that affects those that we love the most. You think of the lists that are given in sections like Galatians 5 and others as far as the works of the flesh. You think of, of those things and the effect that they have on other people. Things like outbursts of anger. Outburst of anger, when that sin is, is allowed to stay there, those outbursts of anger, they affect our kids. They, they, they affect our spouses. They affect those that are around us. Passage refers to hostility, pride, quarreling, dissension, division, gossip, failure to control your tongue. These things all leave a wake of immeasurable destruction for others. It may start out as something small, that hostility that's there, the pride that's there, the small quarreling that takes place, the dissensions, the divisions, and, and then all of a sudden, that sin just, it, it snowballs everything in your life to where Rather than you killing it and recognizing this is sin and this is something that needs to be put to death in my life, not something that I should just keep there and and fester and let it stay there. Rather than putting it to death, it it stays there and then it affects areas in our lives that we had no idea that it was ever going to affect. We thought that everything was okay, but we let a little sin in. The Bible tells us a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And a little bit was in there to where it grew. You, You find people in terrible sin and and you ask them, how'd you get to this particular place? It always begins with a little bit of compromise. It always begins with a little bit of sin. Nobody looks at their lives and says, you know, I'm, I'm going to become an alcoholic today. I'm going to become a drug addict today. It always begins with just a little bit of sin that's there and, and not trusting Christ properly or... Anxiety that's not given over to the Lord or 
being in a place where we look to something like that rather than looking to Christ, our sufficient Lord and our portion forever, our King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, rather than looking to him, we look to something else and it may start out as it's no big deal. I have freedom to do these things. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself in a place where you never thought that you would be. Jealousy can bring incredible hurt, division, anxiety, and eventually destroy people and destroy relationships. Sexual impurity and immorality can cause irreparable damage to your spouse. It it can create a, a tsunami of just jaded and impure and ungodly and perverse thinking of something that was created for God's glory within the institution of marriage. And you let it in and all of a sudden it's, how did I get to this place? And the results of that sin could carry on for a lifetime. Flee such sins, Scripture tells us. Never cease by the work of the Spirit to put such sin to death. You can take any other sin and the putrid fruit that would come from it, and it will be destructive to those who the Lord's placed in your life. There is a reason why we should put to death sin. It does not just affect us. It affects others that are around us. Not only that, but the failure to mortify sin leads to a tarnished witness and a disregard for the glory of God. A tarnished witness. I think of when the the young lady or the young man says to someone, I'm sorry, I, I cannot even entertain the idea of having a relationship with you because God tells me that I'm not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. The obedience to Christ reveals that you value value Christ more than anything else. You value his glory more than anything else. But when someone knows you're a believer and it knows that you ought not to be in a relationship with an unbeliever, and there's compromise that's there. Your witness is tarnished because you're, you're saying to them, I value you and my need for you more than I value Christ and what he tells me to do. I value you and the joy that you bring me more than the joy that I have in Christ who who tells me, this is the way, walk ye in it, I look at it and say, yeah, I want this more. And your, your witness is just tarnished. It, when, you, when you talk like the, the people at work and you're just like them, when you look like the people at school, when your lives are indistinguishable from the world, it shows that the sin that is there is more to be treasured than obedience to Christ in every area of your life. That God's glory is not as precious as the pleasures of this current world. 
But when you walk away from a perverse conversation, when the words that come from your mouth are pure and edifying, when your entertainment is different from the world, when you're satisfied with what God's blessed you with rather than coveting the material things of this world, your witness is preserved and God's worth, his sufficiency, his glory is exalted rather than prevailing sin displaying that you do not truly treasure Christ above all things. It is critical that we kill sin in our lives. Not only that, but fifthly, Romans 6 tells us, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Why should we mortify sin? Because if we were crucified with Christ, if the sin that was in our life was put to death with Christ on the cross, why would we, having died to sin already, why would we want to continue to live in it when Christ has paid the price for our sin and made it so that we are free to live for him, no longer in bondage to sin, but free to live for him. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. Sin in our lives that is unmortified will lead to terrible consequences, not only in our lives, but in our families, within our church. And it'll go far beyond that to our community and to our nation. We, we see that, don't we? Don't we see that? Don't we see the sin of our nation, the compromise of the church on things like Roe versus Wade. You have millions, millions upon millions of babies who have been aborted because the church didn't know where to land at that particular time. You look at it with a subject like that and people saying back then, well, we don't know if it's a baby yet or not. We don't know. You, you, don't, you don't go hunting and, and have a, hear a noise in the bushes and say, well, I'm, it could be a deer or it could be a person. I don't know. Just shoot it. You don't do that. It would be foolish. The difference is, is, is now we know. We know. We know it's a baby. We know. I, we know that the, the same DNA that's there in the first weeks, it's the same that comes out later. We've, Tosh and I went and, and got an ultrasound where it's like this, you, you see the baby there, it's 3D, it's, you can see their face. I mean, you can look at this video of Jonathan sucking his thumb, doing the things, that you can look at him while in the womb and you would know that it was him and not some other kid at the church. I mean, you can literally, you can see them. Think of little ones like Sienna Williams, who was born so premature, and you look, and man, you could have just held her in your hand. And she's just running around the church. It's such a joy here. 
And yet there's babies that are aborted at that same age. Fully viable to live here. The church didn't know what to do back then. Didn't take a strong stance. We see the issues of sexual sin and homosexuality and marriage and all of these areas being attacked. And I think every part of our government right now shows that God has, in his judgment, given us over to a debased mind. Things that are taking place, just it, it reveals God's hand of judgment upon our nation. Compromise within the church that has left a church across America that is largely biblically illiterate because there have been preachers and pastors who wanted to entertain more than preach the word. And the result has been just generations that have grown up with very little knowledge of the word of God in which generations that have gone before us have known it, they've loved it, They've been pillars within the church, and things have changed radically. Sin needs to be put to death. It needs to be killed, or it will be killing us. How does this happen? We look at our text here, and it tells us, once again, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the, of the body, you will live. How does this happen? By the Spirit. If by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh. The Holy Spirit was given to us in part to enable us to mortify the flesh. You, you read passages like Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. The Spirit is there to kill the flesh. You see in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, and also in Ezekiel 36, but in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, God says, I'll give them one heart and I'll put my new spirit within them. I'll take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, that they may be my people and I'll be their God. I'll put my spirit within them. Why? So that they can have a heart of flesh. Why? So they could walk in my statutes, so they could do it. We, we are totally and completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to mortify our flesh. We can't do it by ourselves. It's impossible for us to do it by ourselves. John Owen says, A man may easier see without eyes, speak without a tongue, than truly mortify one's sin without the Spirit. Be easier for you to see without eyes than to mortify one's sin without the Spirit. An unbeliever has no capability whatsoever of mortifying the flesh. It is only us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have been given a new heart, who have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us that have the ability to fight sin and to put it to death. How does the Holy Spirit do this? Number one, by causing our hearts to abound in grace. God does this for us. Our, our hearts would never desire to kill sin if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit who takes us and he washes us through regeneration. He renews our hearts, Titus 3.3. 3. Our flesh was crucified with its affections and lusts. The Holy Spirit causes us to grow. He causes us to thrive, to flourish, to abound in grace. The fruit that only the Holy Spirit can produce. Our, our flesh fights hard against the things of God. 
But the Holy Spirit causes his grace to abound in us and the fruit of his abounding grace and gifts are warring against the sin in our lives, the works of the flesh. The Holy Spirit does this in us. The Holy Spirit, number two, washes away our filth. He's molding us. He's conforming us into his image. He does this in a real way. The Holy Spirit is referred to in Isaiah 4.4 as the one who washes away his people's filth by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. The Holy Spirit literally destroys the source of sin in our lives, the very root of the lust. The heart that was once a heart of stone is changed to a heart that is soft. And then the Holy Spirit works in our lives to change the corrupt lust and filth that once acted as a dictator in all that we did, and he changes us. You watch someone as they're in church and as they're in the word and as they're growing in their knowledge of God where you just watch the Holy Spirit just take things out of their lives. I've watched it in, in so many of you. I think I, I met Pastor Matt when he was just maybe 15 years old. And Goodness, I could tell you stories about him. I mean, I w- we had to tell him, hey, buddy, you can't wear that shirt to church. You just can't wear that to church. It's, I don't know what you thought when you put that on. And you go through, I, I watch it in my own life. God taking me and just, there's things that I struggled with back then that I don't struggle with anymore, and I praise God for it. Number three, he brings the cross of Christ to us. The Holy Spirit does this by bringing the sinner by faith to have communion with Christ, to truly know Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, to know the fellowship of his sufferings, that you and I may look at all things, the worldly pleasures, all our good works, all the desires of the flesh, all sin, and count it as lost, as rubbish, that we may gain Christ, to be found in him, we may have his righteousness. The Holy Spirit does this in our lives. He brings us into communion with him, with Christ. The sweet communion that you have when you see him, in the sense of seeing him in the pages of Scripture, the times where he just meets us in causes us to just rejoice that we've been saved from our sins all because of the cross, the knowledge that comes from God's word as we look at these things. The Holy Spirit is the one who is doing this in our lives. Number four, the the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He shows us our sin. He draws us to repentance. Doesn't he do that? You, You have sin that's in your life and the Holy Spirit convicts you. He causes you to see it. You're not going to mortify something, kill something that you don't see. And yet he shows you this is sin. You're letting this live in your life. It will kill you. It will kill your fellowship. It will kill your joy. It will kill your witness. It will kill your relationships. And he shows us the sin. He, He is more than likely showing it to you right now. Things in your life where you look at and you think, I need to kill that thing. By the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is good to do that. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ in 1 John 3 2. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, 
We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And it's the Holy Spirit who takes us, the children of God, and says, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him. And the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. And all of our hope is in, I'm going to be with him in all of his holiness and all of his purity. And God says, you have this hope and it, it purifies you. Knowing that life doesn't end here. But you, you're, you're going to spend eternity with him, with the glorified body, and be molded, conformed, changed into image. You will see him clearly. And, and the Holy Spirit says, just the knowledge of this brings us to a place of being made pure. Number six, through the glorious gift of prayer. The Holy Spirit mortifies sin in our lives by giving us the gift of prayer. Pray that we might obey. You you see it, like in Psalm 119, verse 10, it says, With my whole heart I've sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Prayers that go out, with my whole heart I've sought you. God, don't let me wander from your commandments. I just want to please you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to the disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray. So he's going to the disciples there as he's about ready to go to the cross. As he's about ready to be arrested. He says, watch and pray. Pray. And the reason why you need to pray is so that you will not enter into temptation. What did they do? They slept. Could you not watch and pray for one hour? And yet the disciples did not see the need to obey and to pray. They thought that they could do it on their own. And as a result, they all fled. And we look at it and and God says, pray. The Holy Spirit says, pray. Every time you pray, you show that you can't do things on your own. You're in need of his enabling. Prayer is such a, a humbling exercise to be at a place of, I can't do it can't do it I can't change hearts I can't change my own heart I can't do it I I need you Christ another example of prayer Psalm 19 verse 12 who can understand his errors cleanse me from secret faults keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins from these deliberate and willful sins Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. I shall be innocent of of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I got these sins everywhere. Lord, you got to change it. You got to change the words of my mouth. You got to change the meditations of my heart. Make it acceptable to you. You're my strength, oh, Lord. You're my strength. You're my redeemer. You're the one that can change me. And so the prayers go out saying, God, I can't do it on my own. I can't get rid of the sin. The bitterness that's there, the division that's there, the unforgiveness that's there, the lust that's there, the covetousness that's there, whatever it is that you're struggling with, I can't do it, God. You got to do it in my life. You're my strength. Change the way that I think. Change the meditations of my heart. And it's a prayer that just goes out, God, do it. Please do it. 
I mean, you see just total desperation in these prayers because God's people, as they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, know they can't do anything by themselves. I I would hate for our church to, to hear a sermon on the mortification of the flesh and walk out the doors of that church just, just saying like, yeah, I could do it. It's good. good pep talk. I could do this. I'm going to kill that sin. You're, you're going you're to fall so quick and you're going to be so discouraged because you try to do it in your own flesh. You cannot. It is only in the spirit that you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. One last example of prayer is Psalm 40. Verse 12, for innumerable evils have surrounded me. Innumerable evils. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. I can't even look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Do it so fast. My iniquities, they're more than the hairs of my head. God, please just do it. Just get it out of my life. What a sweet, humble prayer of total dependence upon God to change us. Don't let sin just stay there. Hate the sin. Mortify the flesh. Mortify those sins. Kill those sins. Do it by his enabling. Not only through prayer, but through the gift of his inspired word, his perfect word. Meditate on God's word. Take in God's word. Joyfully read it. Watch the Holy Spirit work miraculously in your life as he brings the mortification of sin. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I take and I just, I I read it, I memorize it. It's hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. How does that happen? He is totally dependent upon God's word to just Be that which gives him the roots, the foundation that he needs to live. You see it in Ephesians 6 where it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our defense against the walls of the devil is the sword of the Spirit. It is God's Word. It is powerful. This is not a book. This is the perfect revelation that God has given us for the equipping of the saints to change us. Look, and we see the need not only for us to be in his word daily, but the preaching of the word. You hear Paul say to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Preach, preach the word. There are incredible churches in our land here. And there are churches that are not. And I think largely a distinguishing factor is, do they preach the word? The preaching of God's word is that which we're told 
is profitable for us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We need to hear God's word. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And brothers and sisters, we need each other. It is absolutely critical. We need each other. The Holy Spirit has placed people within our body. You're not here by chance. You're not here because it just seemed like a good place to be. We belong to one another, and every one of us has been gifted by the Holy Spirit with specific gifts that we're to be thankful for because those gifts were given for the body. And they were given so that we could edify each other, to build each other up. You're not by yourself. There is a reason why we have a community of believers here. We are, it is absolutely critical that we are together. It's absolutely critical that you're stirring up the gifts that are inside you because we need it, all of us need it, for the mortification of the flesh to take place, the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. The Holy Spirit has given us to one another for that purpose, to build each other up. Oh, there's such a warped view of church today. I mean, just... Church hopping from place to place to place, and there's no place to call home, and it doesn't matter. And well, you know, there's a cool thing on this night, and there's a cool thing on that night there, and I'll go there. And no accountability to anybody in any particular church, and no using your gifts specifically for the body. I hear people say, I'm going to go to this college group because it's just really cool. I like going to that one. Not even have any consideration to the young adults ministry here saying, like, maybe I should go there and use my gifts to minister to the body that is here because I've been given gifts and they belong to them. And that's a great venue for me to be able to just use the gifts that God's given me for the building up of the body. And you could do it in any part of our church, just ministering to one another. You see scriptures where it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, and the day is approaching. Encourage one another, exhort one another, love one another, stir up the gift that's inside you for the building up of one another. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make it so it's your aim to just please him in every area of your life. You, you, I think of Edwards just thinking on these things where he says things like, whenever I do a conspicuously evil action, Jonathan Edwards says, I trace it back till I come to the original cause and then both carefully endeavor to do so no more and to fight and pray with all my might against the origin of it. I, I want to know what it is that made me sin and I'm going to do whatever I can to fight against the original of it. What made me first fall to sin and to kill that? You see him just practicing mortification of the flesh and what he reads every single week in these resolutions where he says things, examine carefully, constantly, that one thing that's in me that causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against it. I want to kill that thing that makes me doubt God's love and just kill it. Direct all my forces to kill that thing that makes me question God's love. Resolve to inquire every night as I'm going to bed wherein I've been negligent, what sin I've committed, and wherein I've denied myself. Also at the end of every week, month, and year, I just when I go to bed, what sin has been in my life? I want to kill it. I just, I just want to kill it. 
And he just thinks about that constantly. I just want to kill it. I want to kill that thing. And so he thinks about it. Killing the flesh, killing the sin by the Spirit. God, just what is the thing that is just causing me to sin? I need to kill that. And it's that knowledge of that that God is working in us to produce holiness, to produce godliness, to cause us to shine as a light in this world, to bless our marriages and our friendships, our families, to bless our church. Because we don't let it just stay there, but there's this passion to kill it by his spirit. There's much more. Get the book. My time is over. Um, Let's take this seriously as we are called by the Lord Jesus Christ to do. For if we live according to the flesh, we'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. Enable us by your Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. God, please don't let us just day and have sin in our life that does not get challenged, that does not get killed. You tell us so clearly in your word that it will affect us. It will hurt us. It will hurt others. Tarnish our witness. It will cause us not to glorify you as we ought to. Please, Lord, change us in these areas. And we close by saying to you, Lord, we love the gospel. We love the gospel. We love that you have taken every sin we ever have committed and every sin we ever will commit, and you have removed it from us. As far as the east is from the west, Lord, you have removed it from us. Thank you, Lord, for that position that we are in in Christ because of the cross and by faith in you. Lord, by your grace, as we are pilgrims here on this earth, Lord, please enable us to abstain from fleshly loss. Please enable us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Lord, we want to live in a way that honors you and glorifies you, that is pleasing unto you. We find ourselves this morning so totally and completely dependent upon you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.